listening to Phenomenology Club Radio. Hello and thank you for listening to this audio podcast. I am Buttress, the host of Phenomenology Club, which is an interactive online community of artists and thinkers centered around this content that I create and curate online for us to talk about which is why both our tagline for Phenomenology Club and the subtitle for this discussion series is Talk About It. Most of these uploads are originally streamed live on our YouTube page. If you're interested in interacting with those as they happen live, please go subscribe and turn on the notifications at youtube.com slash phenomenologyclub. And in general, to learn more about our club, what we do, and how you can become a member for only $1 a month, please visit our website at www.phenomenology.club. Thank you for listening. Stay trippy. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Can everybody hear me? Hope so. Say something if you can't. Welcome to Wednesday, bitch. This is Talk About It, the audio podcast for Phenomenology Club. What the hell? Why can't I hear me? Don't. Don't. What? I don't know why that audio just played for me. Oh, because I'm listening to it at the same time. Sorry about that. Alright. So, it's Wednesday. Welcome to Wednesday. I'm Buttress, also known as Bethany from New Jersey. And uh, I've been doing live streams lately on this channel. Please subscribe if you haven't already. (coughs) Excuse me. Whenever some topic comes to me that I find compelling, I've just decided that recently I'm going to try to hop onto the microphone and talk about it instead of making long-ass threads on Twitter where... I can argue in 160 characters or less or whatever the fuck. This is much more useful in my opinion. And today I was perusing Twitter just a moment ago and I noticed that Aeon Magazine, who has been posting a ton of really great articles recently, by the way, everyone should subscribe to them. I'm promoting them right now. Um, Posted an article about how... (coughs) Well, actually, what was the article title? Because I didn't even read the article, actually. I'll read it after this. But I thought that just the title was enough to get me excited because this is a thing I think about all the fucking time. So they posted it and said, To overemphasize the relationship between bits of the brain and cognitive functions or behaviors is only a modern version of phrenology. That matters to the male-female brain debate. And this is a thing that I think is so fucking true and not talked about often enough. This idea that even if you could demonstrate structural differences between the male and female brain backed up with neuroscientific proof, quote-unquote, that that would somehow translate into any sort of meaningful arguments about things like female versus male interests or behaviors and I see somebody in the chat has already given us some input that I think is a great place to start when someone was saying 
they find it interesting how it's not really included in feminist discourse, how there's so much empirical evidence here. Um, I don't know if I would say that there's so much empirical evidence. There's absolutely structural differences between the male and female brain. Um, and I agree with you that feminist discourse seems like very scared of this subject. And I think that that's for good reason, because, you know, like it's already been demonstrated that there's a bias that motivates some of these studies. You know, we always see like fucking <laughs> Jordan Peter, bro, and others, uh, the Google Google memo, bro, quoting things like uh that factoid that gets thrown out all the time in these sorts of debates where they say men are interested in things and women are interested in people and that's from a study by this man named Simon Baron Cohen who yes is related to Sasha Baron Cohen aka Borat I believe they're cousins and this is a study this man I believe is actually a neuroscientist he might be a psychiatrist Maybe both. I don't fucking know. But this man is a fucking idiot. Let me tell you about this study real quick before I continue. This is the kind of shit that gets published in actual scientific journals. And this is why I think a lot of feminists are afraid for good reason of getting too deep into these debates. Because the climate within science and neuroscience is still so biased, really. I mean, like last year, I think... It was, there was some, like, physics fucking, uh, panel where, like, one of the leading physicists or something, like, was just, like, out here, like, saying that women, <laughs> he was basically, like, repeating these kinds of bullshit arguments that come from these kinds of studies that I'm about to tell you about. So this study that is the reason we see Jordan Peterborough's out here quoting this factoid that men are more interested in things I've told this on Twitter a lot already but I'm gonna tell it again is based on a study that was done on one day old infants one day old okay <laughs> so like first of all what these infants have only been in the world for like 24 hours and he takes these infants these male and female infants and he has the researchers hold them and he notices <laughs> that the female infants hold the gaze of the researchers that are holding them longer than the men do. <laughs> the men. The male babies. 24-hour-old <laughs> babies. Okay. So he uses this. Just this. The fact that the female babies stare at faces longer as the basis, the proof for this fucking argument that gets quoted left and right now all the fucking time off this bunk ass study, which the scientific community has like largely rejected. I mean, like it, there's articles, look it up about how, you know, all these different scientists basically explaining why it's just some pseudoscientific garbage. And this researcher, by the way, you can tell he's like very motivated by some desire to prove that men and women have different interests and it's proven by science. Like his latest research is about how autism is extreme man brain. Like, I think that this man really is just very obsessed with this idea of proving that genius as a characteristic of male 
biology really because i think that's what he's getting at like a lot of people don't necessarily associate autism with genius but a lot of people actually totally do like autistic savants you know these people are like pulling off incredible feats of math and computation without any sort of instruments like there's definitely something very admirable about the way a lot of these people's brains work and so this man out here now is trying to say that autism is extreme male brain so females who have autism just have this fucking extreme man brain too but I think that that's why feminists are reasonably afraid of entering too far into the discourse because it seems like the people and the people that aren't feminists in particular that are most interested in having these sorts of discussions do seem to have some sort of an agenda to prove that men are geniuses and women just want to have babies and breastfeed all fucking day long. So I understand why there's an aversion. At the same time, I think that this person is right in the chat that it's kind of weird and probably not a good thing like i think that feminists should be able to engage these sorts of ideas more head-on because and this is why i'm making this podcast there's actually all sorts of philosophical arguments that can be made that make the question itself seem absurd and unscientific and especially through the lens of phenomenology which, as some of you know, is a philosophical method that helps us do things like make meaningful philosophies around, the, around descriptions of human experience, okay? And this is why phenomenology is, like, very relevant to neuroscience in particular right now. Like, there's so many neuroscientists that are working alongside philosophers and also a lot of neuroscientists that are also philosophers that are doing really amazing work right now in this field and that's why too you see a lot of like PhD programs now more than ever where they offer things like joint majors or joint degrees in both neuroscience and philosophy because right now they're trying to construct meaningful medical language really to be able to talk about any of these this shit (laughs) (laughs) Because that has not yet been done. You can look at MRIs of the brain all damn day long and measure them and do this or that. Show people images of whatever and try to use that data to gauge, you know, what it says about their interests, their personality. But that those decisions are ultimately philosophical. And if your philosophy is bad there, you're going to come to all sorts of ridiculous conclusions. So the thing that the the Aeon magazine was saying, and the thing that I'm saying now, is really uh, compelling, and I think not thought about often enough. This idea that, okay, there, first of all, there are structural differences between male and female brains, and I don't know all of the specific ones, But the one that's most glaringly obvious and agreed upon by everybody is that men have larger brains. You guys got the big brains because you got big ass heads and we got tiny heads, okay? (laughs) So right there, there's a structural difference. Not sure how much you can glean from that, (laughs) but it's true. But then beyond that, there's other 
structural differences that have been identified that I think do give us some sort of insight into things that we probably can draw some sort of hypothetical conclusions about and use. Like, I've heard that men have better spatialization and women have different kinds of spatialization. And so, but also that these things can be improved and modified through, like, video game training. I heard this, that, like, women's spatialization can be transformed through, like, training materials. So even that right there is like, well, is this actually an implicit structural difference or is this a thing that could have come to us by way of like socialization, you know? A thing like that though I think seems less likely to have been the result of socialized processes of socialization. And, you know, when it comes to these things, too, especially, like, trying to prove really grandiose narratives about women being more empathetic, more nurturing, whatever. These things, too, if I'm not mistaken, also are shown by neuroscience to be easily transformed. Like, I believe I read a study once. I have to look it up. Don't quote me on this. But I believe I read a study where they did... They did, like, MRI scans of women who stay home as caretakers of children and, I think, men who had careers. And they noticed all these structural differences between them, you know, based on, like, MRI imaging and such. But then they, I think, had the men, like, stay home and be the caretakers for a bit and the women went out into the workplace or whatever. And then they noticed that the male brains started to more resemble the female brains just by, like, doing this, you know. So that's also true, that there's many external environmental variables that have some sort of impact on our actual neurological structures. But regardless of any of this... The point remains, and this is the most important point, that even structural differences, even though they can be proven, you can never prove that these structural differences are going to translate into into statements about such broad categories like interest or behavior. And I was just ranting about this on fucking Twitter, but I'll give the same example. Let's say that you could prove, for example, that women are more empathetic and we're more nurturing. Let's say you could prove that with neuroscientific data, okay? (laughs) Which you can't. But if you could, what, what would then make you feel confident that you could use this data to say, and because women are more empathetic, it makes sense that more women are in the nursing field and more women are social workers and more women teach small children, you know, because these are the sorts of things that we see already. People make these sorts of claims based on random ass, usually pseudoscientific papers like the one I was talking about just a minute ago. You can't prove that anything <laughs> like having having I mean it. It's so hard to even, like, think about because you can't even prove, first of all, that somebody is more empathetic in the first place. You know what I mean? I mean, even that statement is so broad. 
like how would you prove that hypothetically you know like maybe show images of puppies dying (laughs) to men and to women and see like who has more of an emotional response if all the women begin crying and all the men just remain stone-faced does even that prove women are more empathetic women are more prone to caring about such things and you know even if you during this study do imaging and see that oh look like their brains are glowing green when this happens and the men's are glowing blue like like even if you could prove that something is happening on a neurophysiological level you can't really conclude then that women are more empathetic you know what I mean maybe we're more like maybe we just cry when we see death in front of us you know like it doesn't necessarily translate a thing like empathy is such a loose concept to begin with that you can't really draw any sort of conclusion like that you know I mean you can try but this is why people feel strongly about this topic that it's motivated by forces that are insidious and sexist really Because what are you even really trying to do? It's like you're going in with a thesis. You're trying to be like, why do women like cry more? Let's look into it. Like you're already framing the argument from onset with something that's just philosophically unsound. Sorry, I'm reading these chats real quick. If men and women have identical brains, wouldn't that just eventually reinforce the idea that most men are willfully sociopathic bags of garbage at a deep, deep level? Okay. Don't say that, person. (laughs) Men are not sociopathic bags of garbage, either willingly or unwillingly. Men are great people and we love men, okay? (laughs) I don't think that I don't think that um, <laughs> that proving our brains are structurally similar <laughs> or, or proving we have the same well yeah I mean <laughs> proving that our brains are not all that different I think definitely does do a service to this argument that a lot of the behaviors we see exhibited by men more than women things like the homicide rates and sexual assault rates and things like this yes I think that that, that does offer something there and and will help us come up with more useful, meaningful solutions to addressing this disparity. You know, and I think a lot of the neurosexist narratives that do exist are in many ways informed by this too. You know, that people want to prove that our differences that have become manifest in society are not founded on nothing, you know, that they're founded on biology. And I think in many ways they are founded on biology, but not in the realm of interest, you know, like people, people try to use neuroscience to prove a thing like women are more nurturing, they're more empathetic, they're more hardwired for things like socializing and caregiving. And that's why they are the primary caretakers. But I think that's, that's like, I mean, that's such a, a, 
that's what am I trying to say that's a premature conclusion and not only is it a premature conclusion it's sort of ridiculous because there's all sorts of other reasons reasons that have been offered up by feminists in particular to counteract this you know like okay if we're the ones literally holding the babies if we're the ones that the babies just stay inside of and then they come out of us and then we breastfeed them I think because of all of these very real facts of biology it makes sense that we've been pushed into this domestic role because it's easy you know nature follows the path of less resistance right so do like pretty much all actions so if i'm the one that's already like the one shouldering the burden of this reproductive process i think it seems natural that women slid into this role and that men ultimately built civilization without our input because we're in the home breastfeeding the babies and the men are out there fucking plowing the field and killing the saber-toothed tigers and doing what the fuck ever and building stuff. So, you know, they didn't think back then maybe we should call up our bitches at home breastfeeding <laughs> and ask them what they think about this stuff. All of these things I think are natural but society and civilization in many ways counteracts nature, right? I mean, we built society and civilization to protect us from natural hierarchies. That's the fucking point. None of us are equal in nature. We're all vulnerable to varying degrees, you know? I would rather deal with being vulnerable in a society than being vulnerable in nature. Because in nature, I'm fucked, right? And a lot of us are fucked, whether male or female. Like, you're a super fucking skinny dude. You're fucked out there, too. Like, you, there can only be one champion. We're all incredibly vulnerable in nature to varying degrees. And without a civilization that we build, an artificially constructed thing made with the purpose of counteracting natural hierarchies, then yeah we're fucked so to say that a thing is natural or naturally created doesn't mean that we shouldn't change it <laughs> because this is what civilization exists to do to change nature in ways that make us all have more equal footing true equality is you know again a concept that is too broad to ever even necessarily prove has been achieved or can be achieved but we create civilization with the purpose of at least making us more equal to the best of our goddamn motherfucking abilities you know and within civilization we enact all types of unnatural behaviors a thing like consciously not reproducing and choosing to adopt instead that is like one of the most unnatural behaviors i mean other species adopt outside of their own species even we see it in rare instances but they don't necessarily forego their own reproduction processes to adopt instead you know what i'm saying so we do all types of unnatural shit so that's another thing to combat here but i'm really interested in this idea and i think that um, a deeper philosophical understanding of this idea will take us to really meaningful conclusions and help us navigate things like structural differences between the male and female brain in very useful ways, you know. But, <laughs> but again, 
this is the key concept that I think people should really think about because it's really fun. That no structural difference can ever be translated meaningfully into a thing like interest and nor should you even try you know first of all interests and behaviors even aside from things like having a twitch in your fucking eye are pretty much outside the realm of scientific language period and this is why i think psychiatry for example is considered a medical field but people also approach it with great skepticism because psychiatry tries to do exactly this take things that might seem clinically or scientifically meaningful all sorts of data sets and then random people do their best at trying to use philosophy essentially to translate this into some meaningful statement about the outside world you know and they do this in in ways that i think are incredibly damaging like for one this narrative that we have we see a lot of people people i know that are on antidepressants say things like i just have a chemical imbalance and you know it needs to be corrected that's why i'm on x or y medication And I don't think that there's anything wrong with being on a medication. Like, I self-medicate every damn day, bitch. But to frame it this way to yourself, because scientists, people with fucking PhDs, are telling you to frame it this way, that's so wrong. There has never been a chemical imbalance proven to exist in anybody. There's never been any mental illness proven to exist, period. And of course, I think it does exist, especially things like, you know, schizoaffective disorders and autism and whatever. I'm not trying to make the argument that none of these things exist, only that I think psychiatry as an institution has gone to really dangerous places and done a lot of harm to people because their philosophy is inadequate. And really, it just depends what psychiatrist is speaking, whether or not you're going to hear something that's not total fucking garbage. Like the chemical imbalance thing. When people, when psychiatrists say people have a chemical imbalance, this has never been proven. What they're actually saying is that certain medications that up your serotonin production make people feel better. Like, no shit, motherfucker. <laughs> we know serotonin is, makes people feel good. So, of course... If you have some sort of medication that increases serotonin production, people are going to feel better, especially people that are depressed, you know, but don't tell them that they have a chemical imbalance. That's so fucked up. And this is supposed to be a thing that improves mental health. You're fucking lying to them. What was I saying? (laughs) How long have I been doing this? Bolt, bolt, bolt. I don't know. I can't see. Fuck it. Why can't I see? Where's my time? That's trash. Oh, 25 minutes. What was I saying? Does anyone have something to say? I'm like <laughs> in a weird place right now trying to wake up. Give me give me something to to respond to. Yeah, so so I see this all the time. Uh, I have 
and and the sad thing is and i think why feminists are like afraid of entering these conversations are even the smartest people or people that you think are the smartest and the most progressive thinkers still have so much fucking i think hidden bias within themselves personally and when i say bias i mean logical bias i'm not trying to say that like everyone's out here being a fucking sexist or whatever i think we all probably are sexist to varying degrees because of what sort of narratives we see in society and internalize but um yeah like i i I still encounter this from people like one of the smartest people i know was trying to tell me that maybe it makes sense more women are nurses And I told him exactly what I just said. Like, you cannot prove that, first of all, like we're saying, we can't prove (laughs) any structural thing will ever correlate with a concept as broad as empathy. And then beyond that, you can't prove that being empathetic will make you want to be a nurse, you know? Because like I said, online, you know, people enter politics because they're empathetic. Or people enter a fucking... People become surgeons because their dad died from cancer and they want to cure cancer. So they like or they become chemists. They become all sorts of different things because of some thing that you could call empathetic, some sort of empathetic agenda. You know, maybe I want to be the smartest person in the fucking world because I'm so empathetic for all of human humanity and I want to help all of humanity and I've decided that in order to do that I must become a mathematic fucking genius I mean look at Albert Einstein what motivated him did he love humanity I don't know about him actually I think he did but look at Carl Sagan Carl Sagan was one empathetic motherfucker and he's out here doing science shit and I would I would argue that his empathetic drive definitely motivated him to become a scientist he clearly cared and felt like scientific research and promoting the natural sciences was a thing that benefited humanity by golly you can't prove it's 100 oh i'm reading a comment You can't prove it's 100% societal influence either. Certain traits are implicit. Free will exists also. We're not slaves to our own biology. Bitch, you just threw so many things at me. Where do I start? This is a fun challenge. I can't prove it's 100% societal influence either. Um, I mean, it would depend on exactly what we're talking about here. But I agree with you. You can't prove necessarily that a thing comes purely from environmental factors, but you have a better chance of proving that certain neurological structures are transformed by processes of socialization than you do at proving that they're implicit. You know what I mean? Because... (laughs) hmm actually i don't know what i think about that could could we no okay this is why i say that the reason i say that is because you can't really find a human population to test this thesis on right if if you're trying to prove a thing like uh such and such trait is implicit 
that would be so hard because you can't find any human population that doesn't exist in society. The best chance you would have at doing a thing like that would be by studying infants, you know, before they really start becoming impacted by society in meaningful ways. But their brains are still developing, you know, so even then it's so difficult. You would pretty much have to find some feral human population to run this thesis on. The only other way you could probably attempt to do this, I would think, is go into cultures that are drastically different. But honestly, I don't think the differences between how any cultures really treat their men versus their women. I mean, there's no cult. I don't think you could find them. You could find these cultures that are different enough from each other, really, even to test this thesis. Because hypothetically, yes, you could maybe try to see what's common and what seems transformed. But even then, you're still doing fucking concept math. You know, that's really difficult. But I think you stand a better chance at proving things like socialization affects your neurological structures because you have a control, you know. You have people that are at baseline socialized. It doesn't really matter how. And then you subject them to X or Y things and, you know, have them undergo whatever and change their socialization the best you can and then see what changes structurally on neuroscientific imaging you know so that's why I say trying to pursue these ideas and prove that you know or just trying to pursue this question I think is really not very useful maybe it could be one day I'm not close to that but it seems to me that the best chance we stand at ever being able to prove a thing like a behavioral trait or a personality interest or something is implicit. Um, I think you would have to try your best first to create more equal conditions in our society, you know. If the socialization for men and women were more identical, then it would be much easier to prove that our structural differences, you know, are implicit. Reading comments. What, 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 wait, I'm trying to go back up to that one. Damn, y'all were talking. Because you said something about free will. And I don't think that free will even needs to come up in this argument personally. I don't think that anything about free will arguments can really be made here. Or or needs to be. You know, free will is a whole fucking other thing. I don't know if you're speaking to me or to someone else. But somebody just said it seems like you inherently value male traits as superior. And if that's for me or anyone else, it doesn't matter because I want to respond to it either way. I absolutely do think that what has been <laughs> been come to be described as male or masculine traits are superior. I think that the whole concept of masculinity versus femininity is in itself a patriarchal construct. You know, what 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 are masculine traits? Strength courage, innovation, genius, 
the ability to be neutral in the face of really emotional circumstances. You know, stoicism, <laughs> for sure. And then what are women's? Being more docile, being intellectually inferior, being more domestic, being more vain, really, being concerned more with socialization. These are not things that I value personally, but I think it goes beyond that. I think it seems to me that what we call femininity is in itself just a patriarchal construction, you know. It defines women completely through this lens where they're basically assigned all the less desirable traits. And in this way, what's called women is, or feminine is basically just like everything that's bad. Everything that men should not be or would want to be. You know what I mean? So it's not that I think masculine traits are superior and therefore women should try to be more like men or anything i think that we all have what you would be called masculine traits and men just were like no we're masculine and if you act like this you're a tomboy or you're gender non-conforming or what have you you know like why are all the things that are why is it like seen as weird when like women just do nothing you know it's like you're called like masculine like myself like people always assume i'm like a lesbian <laughs> even though i'm 100 percent heterosexual boys what's up no i'm half gay no i'm not but you know, I don't really feel like I, I don't wear a shirt that says I'm a fucking lesbian. Like, I just don't wear makeup. <laughs> and I like to talk about bullshit, you know. These things are seen as masculine. And I feel like that's really fucked up. Because I'm absolutely not masculine. I am 100% feminine. Everything that I do is feminine as fuck. Because I'm female. So here we are. Here we fucking are. What if my passion was to be a massage therapist, but as a man, I can't? Technically, women are better. <laughs> what? First of all, there are definitely male massage therapists. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Second of all, yeah, that's all I got to say. We got a comment. I'm thinking what has been classified as male traits are things that are more ambitious and proactive. Absolutely. This is what I'm saying. I, I think that, you know, we're, we're sort of stuck in a mode right now, too. Um, not to get too deep into feminism, because I want to say that for another day. But I think that a lot of what defines this current wave of feminism, which personally, I don't even call feminism. It's not feminism. And it's not feminism to me because essentially everything we're trying to do right now in feminist quote-unquote discourse is basically reframe patriarchy in ways that make it more, in ways that make it less painful to us as women, you know. So we try to like reframe things like our endless sexual exploitation as like, well, we just got to be sex positive, you know, or we got to be body positive. And we gotta, we gotta exploit all bodies, you know? Like, oh, you don't think fat girls are hot? You better fetishize fat girls, too. Oh, you don't like freckles? You better fetishize girls with freckles, too. You don't like red pubic hair? Like, you can fuck all these bitches. Fuck them all. 
like everything is just like reframing of our of terrible reality into ways that make it sound nicer and i think that's very true right now when you think of things like femininity i see a lot of people like try to say like oh femininity is just underappreciated like there's all these takes about like astrology and stuff and other things that have been come to be called female coded interests you know people would be like oh people who people who hate on astrology just are sexist and it's misogynistic and hating on female things like being nurturing and yada yada and men just need to explore their feminine side and women can explore their masculine side it's like you're still working within this fucking arbitrary stupid ass divide that you came up with that doesn't even make any fucking sense we need to abolish these terms completely there is no femininity there is no masculinity implicitly these things only exist as social phenomena and in many ways are very harmful you know and i think we need to let them go this is your best lecture yet dylan <laughs> thanks dylan that's because I'm just ranting about some bullshit. Like I said, I don't like to get too political out here. So don't let me. Tell me to stop. Because <laughs> this is not what it's about, you know. All of these things I'm putting forth are opinions that I have that I feel are built on a philosophical foundation. So I try on this channel the best I can without going on rants to explain and describe my philosophical foundations, which are largely informed by phenomenology because I find it to be the most useful philosophical approach and so I'm interested in spreading it like a goddamn phenomenology missionary out here in the trenches no shoes bitch why aren't female reading another comment why aren't females the smart ones for not actually seeking power and instead gravitating towards occupations which help and protect others I don't think anyone is saying females aren't smart for being interested in, or not being interested in, but doing things like protecting others. But like I said, I think that females are as a whole more empathetic and more nurturing and such because we occupy this role. But this role is not implicit. That's all I'm trying to say. It's a role that we've been forced into you know and that's exactly what sexism is and that's why we say this is sexism that you reduce an entire group of people to a uh, one set of characterizations you know and it's wrong because you know a person like myself or countless other women who don't want to be caretakers who aren't particularly interested in more social venues of doing anything you know we then feel like we face so many obstacles when we try to go away from this role it's not that there's anything about, wrong about occupying these roles it's just that the distribution is way fucking off for reasons that are very sexist <laughs> I just joined an arts uni, and there's a lot of that kind of wave of feminism you're on about. It's kind of tiresome. Yes, 
I'm gonna do a video, no, not a video, I'm gonna do a live stream about this soon-ish. The different waves of feminism and what they are and why, more on why I said what I just said a minute ago, but I don't want to go too deep into that right now because it's ultimately irrelevant. Um, alright, this is going on 45 minutes. I think I'll wrap it up. Unless we got any comments, any, give me some, give me some other comments. I'll stay for like five more minutes if someone else feels like they want to say something else. I, f I like this chat. This is the most interaction I feel like I've gotten during a live stream. Y'all are like fighting in the chat and shit. That's beautiful. I love it. Keep fighting. There is no borders. It's all just expression. Expression is the phenomenal. That's so true. All these things that we call femininity and masculinity, you know, ultimately are expressions. Not ultimately, but that's a big part of it. How we express ourselves, you know, whether through our behaviors, through our interests, through our aesthetic presentations. That's absolutely true, but it's interesting too because we can say things like, well, clothes have no gender or whatever. Clothes, they don't implicitly, but the thing is, they do because a lot of these clothes have been constructed within this construct, you know what I'm saying? Like a thing like a sparkly sequin dress that's pink and has like girls rule on it <laughs> that's not implicitly a gendered piece of clothing right because it's fabric this thing has no gender but i think it would be hard for most people to see it as a thing that is gender neutral you know and i think that that was just an explicit example but the same is true for a lot of like our clothings you know it's not that clothing is it's not that clothing has a gender but a lot of our specific clothings really are gendered. And that's another thing. <laughs> Similar to what I was saying when I feel like masculinity just possesses all the good traits and femininity just described like everything that is less valuable, I think. I think the same is true for clothing and for all of the things that we <laughs> gender are artificial objects. Like, look at the news. Look at the, when there's a panel with men and women. All the men are in suits, you know, they're wearing these sort of uniform outfits. They're crisp and fucking pristine looking with broad shoulders. They look powerful. And then we see the women. You got bright, colorful clothes with flowers on it. And they're wearing like pearls and like pink lipstick and stuff like personally I feel like a lot of how clothing has come to be gendered and shit is just in a way that like basically infantilizes women and makes us look like a bunch of fucking clowns you know and I think that you can try your hardest to see people for what they are past their expression but you're still gonna have a hard time because a lot of the way that we perceive this phenomenal works on a level that is not directly accessible to us you know i don't think people sit and think about this like oh that woman looks stupid why is she dressed like a fucking clown 
But I think that you do internalize this sort of visual phenomena in all sorts of different ways that you might not even be consciously aware of. Like Rachel Maddow, I think is a great example to hold as an example of a woman who appears she she dresses and wears her hair and such in ways that are closer to what is described as masculine and you see also that in real life i feel like she has been she has gained the respect of her peers and everybody else in a more serious way than i think a lot of other female newscasters and journalists and i'm not saying that that's right and like oh well we just all need to present as more masculine but i think that we definitely should pay serious mind to this idea that femininity is not underappreciated i think it is a harmful construct in many ways and i think it's kind of a bad thing like i feel like what's called masculine is just like being a normal fucking person and what's called feminine is like dressing up like a fucking peacock and like breastfeeding a bunch of fucking kids all day <laughs> like that's just my opinion i'm sorry All right, I'm going to answer one question that's not to do with this, and then I'm going to wrap it up. Who has had the most influence on your philosophy? Um, That's hard to say, but I will say that the first philosophy I ever read wasn't until college when I read Nietzsche's on the genealogy on the genealogy of morality and that shit blew my fucking mind. I had never read any philosophy ever. I come from a history of conservative christianity i was raised by crazy fucking pentecostals like my life was christianity it wasn't like we just went to church on sunday i went to christian school i read the bible every day i've read the entire bible front to back and then some okay like we were at church like three times a week it was fucking serious so you know obviously nietzsche's text on the genealogy of morality really resonated with me because it's essentially a refutation of christianity written in very passionate colorful language and basically is it's like i'm sure a lot of you are familiar with the satanic bible it's like if you extrapolated on the satanic bible and actually made it good that's what that text is like by nietzsche it's basically describing how christianity is a refutation of the self it's incredibly aesthetic ascetic it encourages people to basically hate themselves and to tell themselves that they're incapable of achieving great things so this was a great text i think to be introduced to philosophy with because it motivated the fuck out of me and i was like fuck yeah i love this shit and then so i decided to sign up for some more classes and then from there i read Socrates, Cicero, all the good guys, Heidegger. I'm just trying to think of who like we read in college, Hegel. But phenomenology, I would say, is ultimately the most influential on me, obviously. This is part of why there's a phenomenology club. And within phenomenology, <laughs> there's basically like two big teams and then a ton of other small teams but there's Husserl the man who invented phenomenology well invented is a weird word I don't know if I want to say that the forefather no that doesn't really work either because there's other guys he's the dude he's the phenomenology dude 
let's just say that. And then his student, Heidegger, who was a Nazi, which is not nice, and was the student of Husserl, and his phenomenology is very different from Husserl's. It sort of has a similar platform, but it goes somewhere way else. And Heidegger is definitely like the more popular phenomenologist. He got the most praise um, because, you know, his work really is interesting and compelling, but I'm ultimately more of a Husserlian phenomenologist, and Husserl is my fucking guy because even though I don't agree with everything about Husserl's phenomenology, I definitely deviate from him extremely. Um, he felt very much that philosophy could have more practical applications, you know? And he was a mathematician before he was a philosopher. Or maybe he was both at the same time, I don't know. But he was a mathematician, and he felt very strongly that, you know, philosophy could become more of a thing that could be integrated into life in more explicit ways because it's already integrated into life you know politics has a philosophy politics is a philosophy the natural sciences are a philosophy and they transform usually when there's some big philosophical transformation within philosophy you know like like a thing like um how what am i what am i trying to say fuck oh yeah this idea within natural science that like uh uh, studies have to be repeatable for them to be considered scientific, you know. That's an idea that didn't even happen until I think it was the 17th or 18th century, and that completely transformed natural science, you know, because now that we've all agreed to have this new standard for what can be considered scientific, this idea that a study has to be repeatable, that's like, that just completely transformed the scientific landscape. And that is ultimately a philosophical idea there's no there wasn't proof there wasn't scientific proof and scientific data that made anyone feel like oh uh look look at my research uh it seems that we have to repeat the study no that's just a philosophical argument this idea that if we want to say a thing is true shouldn't we have to be able to repeat it under maybe even different conditions we should be able to do this thing more than once that's simply a philosophical idea so Husserl felt like because this is true, because philosophy is necessary for pretty much everything, literally everything, even the language, uh, we should find ways to standardize it and be able to integrate it more meaningfully into society. And that's why I love him so much, because I think that he is the most pragmatic out of all the philosophers I've read. He's the one that wants to elevate philosophy out of a thing that really is in many ways sort of masturbatory historically no offense to any of those dudes because I love them all and I think they're all important in their own ways but ultimately philosophy is nothing more than creative writing if you can't within philosophy create an argument for why it should exist and why anyone should give a fuck you know so that's why who sells my dude but anyway I'm gonna get out of here I think I've said enough. Thank you for listening. I'll uh, come back some other time because I've been live streaming a lot. I don't know if anyone's noticed. I live streamed yesterday. Go check that out if you haven't. And then like a week before, I'm really into this new format. I'm just going to rant on here, I think. 
instead of other places because feels good bruh feels good so make sure you like and subscribe maybe leave a comment i don't know love you have a great fucking day